good to be together tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue our study of the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Once again, appreciate JT reading that for us, even though it was a little bit long. We got into double digits there. Uh, but Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses of that chapter. Mark chapter 8, if you'd like to follow along, verses 1 through 10. I came across a cartoon of what appears to be an elementary school boy standing toe-to-toe with his teacher. Behind him are written math problems on the whiteboard that he hasn't even tried. He hasn't even attempted them. With great boldness, I guess that would be one word to describe it, with great boldness he looks at his teacher and says, I'm not an underachiever, you're an over-expector. That makes us think about a reality that we experience on a daily basis. In anything that we do, there are always expectations. Parents have expectations for their children. Spouses have expectations for one another. Employers have expectations for their employees, and their employees have expectations for them. Our government has expectations for its citizens. Teachers have expectations for their students, like maybe to do the math problems that are written up on the board. In a similar way, in almost the same vein, Jesus Christ our Lord has expectations for us. And I think in this text, in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, there's a lot that we could draw out of this. There's a lot that we could learn from this passage of Scripture where Jesus feeds more than 4,000 people with only seven loaves and a handful of small fishes. But I think one thing we can learn from this passage of Scripture is what Jesus expects from me and what Jesus expects from you on a daily basis. So in this text, let's zero in on Jesus' disciples. Let's zero in on Jesus' apostles to see what Jesus expects from them. And then in application, we'll see what Jesus expects from us. Number one, Jesus expects His disciples to think. I think we see that in the first three verses of Mark chapter 8. I think when you look at the beginning of Mark chapter 8, it's the same setting that we talked about last week at the end of Mark chapter 7. Jesus is in the region of the Decapolis, which is the ten cities. He's on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says that as He is in that location, a large crowd gathered to him we've seen that happen throughout the gospel of mark it happens again here in mark chapter 8 in verse number one this large crowd comes to jesus and it's not just a couple hundred people it's not just a handful of people as we read we see a little bit later in the passage mark tells us this crowd consists of four thousand individuals matthew gives us a little bit more detail on his account in matthew the 15th chapter that this was four thousand men not counting women and children. So this large crowd, this crowd of much more than 4,000 people comes to Jesus on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the problem comes in verse number 1. The Bible says they had nothing to eat. So Jesus calls His disciples to Himself. I think referring to His apostles. And He explains to them the situation. He explains to them what's going on. He says in verse number 2, I have compassion on the crowd. Guys, I feel pity for these people. I feel bad for these people. Well, Jesus, why do you feel bad for them? Why are you having compassion on them? Because they've been with us for three days. 
and they haven't had a single bite to eat. Just as a side note here, don't you want to have that kind of dedication to Jesus? We come together for a couple hours on Sunday morning and we're already thinking about what we're going to eat for lunch oftentimes, right? Here's a group of people who stuck with Jesus for three days and didn't have one bite. Isn't that pretty amazing? Don't you want to have that kind of dedication to Jesus, the dedication to sit and and to have such a passion for what he teaches? I'll sit here and listen to him for three days and not even eat anything. Pretty amazing to see. But Jesus has pity. He has compassion on this crowd. They've been with him for three days and they have nothing to eat. So Jesus continues to explain to his apostles, hey, look at what's going on here. If we send them away, this is a desolate place. If we send them away, I'm afraid that some of them wouldn't make it. I'm afraid that some of them would faint along the way because they've had nothing to eat. And many of these people have traveled from a very long distance. They've came a long way to be here with us over the last three days. Jesus puts the situation before his disciples. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't command them saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's the situation and here's what's going to happen. Jesus doesn't ask his disciples, hey, this is going on. What do you think we should do about this? Instead, he lays the situation before them. He presents them with the facts, I believe, to get them to think. Jesus presents what he wants to do. He tells them the right thing. We need to get these people some food before we send them away because they might not make it on their journey if we send them away. But he's wanting his disciples to think about how to carry that out practically. How to carry that out strategically. We have this large group, more than 4,000 people in this desolate place. If we send them away, they're starving. They're not going to make it. So what are we going to do about this? Jesus tells his disciples what he wants to do, the right thing to do, as he has compassion on these people, and he wants his disciples to think about the best way to fulfill that need. What does Jesus expect from his disciples? He expects his disciples to think. He expects his disciples to use their heads. Reminds me of the story of a guy who got a new gadget, and he was working on putting it together and just couldn't do it. He wasn't a handyman. He read the directions three or four times and still wasn't able to assemble this gadget. So he went over to his neighbor. His neighbor was an older man. He was out in his backyard and he asked him, do you think you could put this together for me? He said, sure, no problem. Came over to the man's house, studied it for just maybe five or ten minutes, put it together within the next 20 minutes and it was running perfectly. The man was amazed. How how did you do that? That was amazing. You didn't even read the instructions. You just looked at it and put it together. The man responded to him saying, don't be too impressed because I can't even read. When you can't read, you've got to think. Well, I'd say the majority of us in here tonight can read, but I think the last part of that statement is true for us. As followers of Jesus, we have to think. As followers of Jesus, Jesus expects us to use our heads, to use the brains that he's given to us. Jesus tells us what he wants us to do. He tells us what he expects from us. He tells us the right thing to do. But then oftentimes he wants us to use our minds to think about the best way to fulfill his commands. The best way to meet the needs of other people. Let me give you just a few examples here. There are a lot of examples we could give of this. But in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, Paul says that we are to be kind to one another. That's the rule. 
That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be kind to one another. But then if we think about it a little bit deeper, what does kindness look like with this specific person, in this specific situation, with this specific background? Well, that might take some thinking. Kindness to one person might look a little bit different than extending kindness to another person. Jesus expects us to think. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, in what's oftentimes called the Great Commission, Jesus commands us to make disciples of all nations by going, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that He has commanded. That's the command. Go and make disciples. But what does that look like when it comes to my coworkers? What does that look like when it comes to my classmates? Notice that Jesus doesn't tell us when to go. He doesn't say how old you have to be whenever you go. He doesn't tell you what method to use whenever you go and make disciples. Jesus leaves those things up to us and expects us to think. What is the best way to fulfill this command in my context, in my world, in the setting that I find myself in? In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or begrudgingly, not under compulsion because you have to, because God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't that require some thinking? The Bible in the New Testament, unlike the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we don't find a specific amount to give back to the Lord. The rule is, give as you decide in your heart. In order to decide in your heart, you're going to have to think. You're going to have to think about your finances, what's coming in, what's going out. You're going to have to think about your priorities. Can you see the point? Jesus tells us the right thing to do. Jesus tells us what He expects from us. Jesus tells us what He wants us to do. And oftentimes we have to use our brains, we have to think in order to find the best way to fulfill those commands. I think that's what He expected from His disciples here. And that's what He expects from us today. He expects us to think. Number two, Jesus expects his disciples in chapter 8 and verse 4 to remember. As Jesus lays out the facts and presents this situation to his disciples in the first three verses, he's not only inviting them to think about what they should do, he's also inviting them to remember something that's taken place in the past. Does this story in Mark chapter 8 sound familiar to you? If we go back just two chapters to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, we find a story, while there are some differences, it's almost identical circumstances. Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish. Remember that story? Jesus sees a large crowd of people coming towards Him and He has compassion on them because they're like sheep scattered and weary that don't have a shepherd So Jesus begins teaching them. The Bible says He teaches them many things. In Mark chapter 6, the disciples were the ones who came up to Jesus and said, hey, it's getting late. Evening is upon us. These people haven't had anything to eat. Why don't we send them into surrounding villages so that they can get themselves something to eat? Jesus responded, you give them something to eat. We know the rest of that story. Jesus ends up having them sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds on the green grass alongside of the Sea of Galilee, and He feeds more than 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. As Jesus explains this situation to them in the first three verses of this chapter, He's not only inviting them to think about what should be done, He's inviting them to remember what was done 
just two chapters ago. This should be ringing a bell for them. They should be having some very serious deja vu whenever we enter into Mark chapter 8 and verse 4. This large crowd alongside the Sea of Galilee. Jesus having compassion on them. Jesus teaching them many things and them not having food, being hungry. Having willingness to sit there to, and listen to Jesus' teaching without any food whatsoever. This should be ringing a bell in their minds. He's inviting them to remember what He did just two chapters ago. Did they remember? You notice the question again that they asked in verse number 4. His disciples answered Him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Well, listen, I have an answer for you. Just do it like you did last time. Let's just get Jesus a few crumbs of bread and He'll be able to feed this entire multitude no problem. It's not going to be an issue for Him. Just find a loaf of bread and He can multiply it miraculously. But that's not the answer that they give. They're not remembering what Jesus had done in the past. They are responding to Jesus as if they've never seen Him work. They are responding to Jesus as if they've never seen a miracle. They're responding to Jesus as if the feeding of the 5,000 just two chapters ago never even took place. Well, where are we going to find bread for a large group of people like this? We're in a desolate place. There's no food around here. Jesus expects His disciples to remember. There's a city dweller who went to go visit some family on a farm. And as he went out on the farm, his uncle who owned the farm whistled with his fingers in his mouth. And out of nowhere came his dog. His dog got all the cattle, paraded them into the fence, shut the gate and latched it with its paw. He was speechless. What is that dog's name? That dog is amazing. The farmer started to think for just a second, what is that dog's name? Oh yeah, what's that flower called? You know, it's red, has a green stem, has thorns down the stem. What's that called? He said, a rose? The farmer said, yeah, yeah, a rose. He turned back to his wife and said, hey Rose, what do we call that dog? We can be forgetful sometimes, can't we? Sometimes we can be so forgetful about things that have taken place in the past that we don't allow them to impact the present. We don't allow them to impact how we see the future. The same can be true with Jesus. Do we ever find ourselves in the apostles' shoes in Mark chapter 8 and verse 4? Where we're presented with similar circumstances to what we've been through before. Where Jesus had helped us before and we don't take the time to think back on how Jesus has been with us and blessed us and provided for us in the past. I was reading through a commentary in preparation for this lesson and I came across a quote that stopped me in my tracks. Have you ever had something just reach out and slap you across the face? This is what this question did for me and it made me realize this is something that I struggle with from time to time. Pace wrote in his commentary, do we approach our problems as if we have never seen Jesus work? Now take a second to think about that and to consider how profound that question actually is. Do we ever approach our problems as if we have never seen Jesus work? We approach the difficulties, we approach the hardships, we approach the painful circumstances in our lives as if Jesus has never worked in our lives before. As if Jesus has never walked with us before and been with us 
before. You know what I'm talking about? Whenever you go through something difficult and it's that moment you can think back on in your past, you can put your finger on it and say, I can see how Jesus was working there. It's like the psalmist laid in the book of Psalms. If the Lord hadn't been on my side in this moment, I would have been completely overcome. I would have been completely destroyed. We have times in our past where we can think back and say, if it hadn't been for the Lord right there, that would have been it. Fast forward a few months, fast forward a few years, we face similar circumstances, and all of a sudden it's as if the Lord never did that a few months or a few years ago. It's as if the Lord was never with us, the Lord never walked with us, the Lord never worked in our lives. Jesus expects His disciples to remember what He's done in the past. Not just for the sake of remembering it. Jesus expects us to remember what He's done in our lives in the past so that we can be confident in the present. So that we can face our problems and we can face our difficulties with an attitude that says God hasn't given up on me to this point and I know He's not going to now. When we remember what Jesus has done for us in the past, it gives us confidence and it allows us to place our trust in Him that as we go into the future, the Lord's going to continue to be faithful. The Lord's going to continue to walk with me. The Lord's going to continue to work all things together for good. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Jesus expects His disciples to think. Jesus expects His disciples to remember But then as we close out the rest of this text, I think Jesus also expects His disciples to participate. It's not just about sitting around and and thinking about what Jesus wants us to do. It's not just about remembering what Jesus has done in the past, but it's actively participating in what Jesus is doing in the world, in the community, in this congregation, and in our lives in the present moment. We know how this story ends. We know how it goes, right, in Mark chapter 8. After the disciples questioned Jesus, where in the world can we find bread in a place like this? Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Oh, we have seven loaves. Jesus took those seven loaves, the Bible says, after telling the crowd to sit down in verse number 6. He gave thanks, He broke them, He gave them to His disciples. The disciples set the bread before the people and they ate. They also found a few small fish. Being on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that wouldn't have been super uncommon. You can imagine. They found a few small fish that would have more than likely been dispersed throughout this multitude. They were passed to Jesus. Jesus blessed them, divided them, and the disciples began to hand out these fish as well and to set them before the people. The end result is in verse number 8 that they all ate, but they didn't just eat a little bit and, you know, it's, and, and leave your stomach growling but they all ate and were satisfied to the point that the disciples were able to go through and collect seven baskets full of leftover food who's the main character of this story whose power is put on display in mark chapter 8 verses 1 through 10 who deserves all the honor and the glory for the miracle that takes place in this passage of scripture It's all about Jesus, isn't it? This is about Jesus' power. This is about what Jesus is capable of. Everything that comes as a result of this miracle, even when we look at this miracle today, it should cause us to fall on our knees before Jesus as our powerful Lord, our powerful Savior, the One who provides for His people. All glory goes to His name. 
But does that mean he did all of this by himself? Does that mean that he did all of this alone? Well, no, he expected his disciples to participate in it. Who was the one who provided for provided the seven loaves of bread in the first place? Who were the ones who took the bread after Jesus divided it and multiplied it and set it before each person, more than 4,000 people in this multitude? Who were the ones who passed out the fish after Jesus received that and multiplied the fish? Who were the ones who went through and picked up the leftover food, seven baskets full? It was Jesus' disciples. This story is all about Jesus. He's the main character. His power is put on display. All glory to His name. But He expected His disciples to participate with Him in this. He expected His disciples to participate with Him in this miracle. And I believe that Jesus expects the same thing from us today. He expects us to think. He expects us to remember. And He expects us to participate. Have you ever seen this man before? His name was Larry Walters. He's passed away in about the mid-90s. But he got an idea one day that he wanted to see his neighborhood from a new perspective. So he went to the Army Surplus store and bought 45 used weather balloons, brought them back to his house, attached them to a lawn chair, filled them up with helium, sat himself down in the lawn chair, and up he went into the sky. But he took a BB gun with him. You're wondering how is he going to get back down. He took a BB gun with him. And as he wanted to come down, he'd shoot out the balloons and just gradually drift back down. Sounds like a good idea, right? He thought he was only going to go up about 100 feet. I'd say he was pretty surprised whenever he found himself 11,000 feet above the ground. To add on top of that, in the middle of the Los Angeles airport traffic. They had to shut down the L.A. airport for about two hours. Flights coming in, flights going out were delayed for two hours because he was floating right in the middle of it. Whenever he finally got his feet back on the ground and the chair landed, and after he was sighted by the police, by the way, some reporters came and asked him, why in the world did you do that? Why in the world did you think that this was a good idea? You know what he said? He said, I did it. Because you can't just sit there. Now, I don't know if that's a good rationale for me. I don't, I don't know if that's going to explain it for me. And I'm certainly not suggesting that we need to do something similar to what he did. But wouldn't it be good if we had his attitude? As Christians, we can't just sit here. As Christians, we can't just sit back and do nothing. Yes, Jesus is working in the world, and you know that. Jesus is working in this community. I believe that Jesus is working in this congregation. I believe that Jesus is working in our lives. I hope that you believe that too. But that doesn't mean that we can just sit back and do nothing. That doesn't mean that we can be relaxed. Jesus expects us to participate with Him in what He is doing in the world. Jesus wants us to be moldable like clay in the hands of a potter. Jesus wants us to be an instrument in His hand that He uses to make a difference in this world. It's like what we find in the book of Ezra, the call in chapter 10 and verse 4. Arise, be strong, and do it. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Not just to sit back and be comfortable as we live our lives on a daily basis, but to participate with Him in what He is doing in the world. Is it His power on display? Absolutely. Does all the glory go to His name? 
Absolutely. Is everything made possible because of Jesus? There's no doubt about it. But even though that's the case, He wants us to participate with Him in His work and His action so that we can make a difference in the world around us. So that people through us, Matthew 5, verse 16, can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In anything that we do, there are always expectations. Isn't it good to know what Jesus expects from us? I think we can, in this text, boil it down to three words. Jesus expects us to think. To think about the best way to fulfill what He has commanded us to do. To use our brains. Jesus expects us to remember. To remember how He was with us in the past. How He has blessed us in the past. To allow that to create hope and trust and confidence as we live in the present and move into the future, Jesus expects us to participate with Him, to put His power on display, to glorify Him as we participate with Him in what He is doing in the world. What Jesus expects from us to think, to remember, and to participate. If we can help you to better align with any of those three ideas tonight, we would love to do that. As together we stand and sing our invitation song. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our while we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no 